I'm dropping names, folks, today on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Another guest for the big 200th episode that's going to be live at Caroline's on Broadway in New York City SummerSlam week gets revealed. Sean Mooney is on the show to talk about his storied WWE career and a very controversial tweet from yours truly as it pertains to Monday Night Raw. All that and more today on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. I did. I did. I had a very controversial Raw tweet that I'm going to have to address in the state of wrestling this week. I had no idea. Sometimes, you know, that's the thing. When you're the last professional broadcaster... You tweet out opinions, and you have no idea what's going to be controversial. I sent out a tweet that I thought was downright tame, and it became highly, highly talked about all through my feed. We'll talk about that later on today. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, counting down the episodes to 200. At episode 200, that's when we officially become Not Sam Wrestling. That becomes the new name of this show, and... We do it live at Caroline's on Broadway, New York City, August 16th, Thursday, 9.30 p.m. That's two weeks from today. If you're downloading this podcast the day it comes out, in two weeks, we'll be live at Caroline's on Broadway. Get your tickets now, carolines.com. You can also go to twitter.com slash notsam. Look at my pinned tweet. Pinned tweets are important. Look at the pinned tweet. And you can find a link to get tickets to the big 200th episode. It's where Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast becomes not Sam Wrestling. And you can be a part of history. Be there. Get your tickets now. I already told you, Bruce Pritchard, brother love himself, will be in the house. Yours truly, Bruce Pritchard, the wonderful venue that is Caroline's. It's nice. It's intimate. You'll be able to be so close. You're not legally allowed to touch Bruce but you'll be close enough that you could if you wanted to. And who knows? Bruce is a weird guy. He might let you touch him. It's time to announce another guest, though. I tease that I would, and why wait a moment longer? Not only will friend of the show, Bruce Pritchard, be on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, 200th episode from Caroline's on Broadway, but another great friend of the show, former Ring of Honor world champion, Dalton Castle. Dalton Castle will be on the 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Dalton Castle will be in the flesh. The last time we talked to Dalton on the podcast, he was Ring of Honor champion. Now, you'll get to see him. You'll get to see the conversation happen live right in front of you. Uh, One of his first interviews since losing the title. We got his first interview after he won the title here on this podcast. He really didn't do all that many interviews lately, so it'll be great. Dalton Castle will be in person at Caroline's on Broadway Thursday, August 16th, 9.30 p.m., prime time in Times Square. New York City, the Thursday before SummerSlam. Be there. And by the way, we've got more guests to announce. Um, It's not just going to be those two. Bruce Pritchard, Dalton Castle, surprise names, and more names that I will announce. So keep tuned in to social media, but get those tickets now. You're going to love the show, carolines.com, and of course, twitter.com slash notsam for that pinned tweet. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This conversation, today's conversation with Sean Mooney, uh, it was 
Not the easiest thing in the world for me to get done. Not due to any fault of Sean Mooney. Sean Mooney and I were we were uh, put in contact with each other, which is still mind blowing. I mean, the whole point of this show is that I'm a giant WWE fan. Everybody knows this. I talk like a WWE fan. I talk to WWE fans. It's the whole reason this show exists, so we can have a place to just talk about this thing that we like so much. Um, So the idea that I'm put in contact with Sean Mooney, Sean Mooney was a staple of WWE TV from about 1988, let's say the late 80s until the early 90s. He probably had a good five or six year run of every event center, he would pop up in commentary for primetime wrestling. He would uh, uh, interview, uh, do the promos backstage every now and then. Really, it was Sean Mooney. It was Bobby the Brain Heenan. It was Lord Alfred Hayes. It was Gorilla Monsoon. These and Mean Gene Okerlund. Sean Mooney, Lord Alfred Hayes, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mean Gene Okerlund. For a lot of us, this was our childhood announce team. And it really is amazing to kind of get the perspective from these guys now. Years removed, now that we're all adults and we can have conversations, it's an am- it, all, all, all these people have amazing stories to tell. And I wanted to get this amazing story and I wanted to get it here on the podcast so I could share it with you. It's one thing to sit down with Sean in a bar and have him tell me all kinds of stories. That's not good enough for me. Let's record those stories. Let's put them out on the internet. Let's let you listen to them. So, of course, the idea is that uh, I've, I'm going to get in contact with uh, Sean Mooney via Skype, and I'm going to do it here in the wonderful, vivacious, beautiful Not Sam Studios. Unfortunately, sometimes you want things to happen, and they don't happen so easily. So today, I record this on Wednesday, the night, I, I, literally this thing, if you listen to this, as soon as it gets released, I'm recording this, you know, six hours before it comes out or something like that. So, Sean Mooney, uh, we, we, we get in contact, we have a, a, an interview scheduled. Today, I had a meeting that I had to go to this afternoon, then I had to rush home to make sure that he get this interview done, right? So I rush home on time, I get here, everything's good. It's storming in New York. Like, it's off and on, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's torrential downpours, it's just ugly. Off and on, though. Sometimes it'll be bright and sunny, beautiful uh, August afternoon. Other times... Rain, thunder, lightning, and it all goes in 15-minute increments. So I get in the house, and for some reason, Fios has screwed the pooch. The internet is down. All over the house, the internet's down. I restart the modem. I plug. I unplug. I plug again. I unplug again. Unplug then, then plug again. Nothing is working. Red dot of death. The globe on my modem is red, and I'm sitting there, and we're already late. And I know that Sean's got a busy schedule. He's got a, a couple. He's got other interviews to do. He's got other things to do. He's not the type of man that you just leave around waiting. So I'm texting with him. I'm going, Sean. I'm sorry. This is really embarrassing. Plus, I want to at least like some people. There are some people left that have some kind of weird idea that I'm actually a professional broadcaster. Me calling myself the last professional broadcaster, I've done it long enough that there are a few people out there that still might have this idea that I actually am a professional. Unfortunately, I do stuff like this and it really, really gets that idea right out of people's minds. So internet's not working. Plug, unplug, unplug, unplug. And I'm sitting there. What am I going to do? I'm texting Sean Mooney. Couple minutes, couple minutes. I'm so sorry. Internet's down. I'm trying to figure this out. 
I need the internet. I can't just call him on the phone because if I call him on the phone, I can have a conversation with him, but it's not going to get recorded. You're not going to get to hear it. What am I going to do for this episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast? So I'm sitting there. I'm looking around. I go, what's the move? What's the move? My mom's over at my house. She's waiting for my son to wake up from his nap so that she can watch him while I talk to Sean Mooney. Okay? That's the deal that I have right now for this day. I'm sitting there going, Mom, do you have internet at your house? She goes, yeah, there's no problem with the internet over there. So I go, okay. I go downstairs. In my Not Sam studio here, on the wall, you know, if you've seen it on YouTube, you see all the tchotchkes and stuff all over the wall. Everything's got a little meaning. For the most part, everything's got a little meaning behind it. I guess some of it's just tchotchkes. But most of it has a, at least a little bit of meaning. I go, and one of the things I've hung up on the wall is the original USB microphone that I was doing Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast out using when I didn't have this studio. Before we built the Not Sam Studio, this is the little microphone that I would plug into my iPad and record off of there. So I go, okay, that's no longer a decoration. I grab that. I look through. I save all these cables. I got bags of electronics and stuff like that. I look through it. I find my wire, the USB wire, the cable that connects the microphone to the computer. I go upstairs. I grab my old laptop. I grab the charger for it. I grab some earbuds. I go, mom, I got to go run out of the house, drive to my parents' house. I'm texting Sean Mooney. Just a second. Just a second. Uh, I'm right on top of that, Rose. I'm right on top of that, Rose. I go into my dad's house. My dad's there. I call it my dad's house because my mom's at my house. My dad's there. I go, uh, yeah, I got to do this thing. He goes, yeah, no, your mom told me. Your mom called. I go, okay, good. So that means we don't have to do this whole conversation thing. I uh, go upstairs, right? And I plug in. And then I realize my parents are out of their minds and the entire second floor of the house, the first floor, every room is too loud because it's raining sheets down now. Now is the time that it started raining sheets. So everywhere you go in the house, you're just hearing rain, 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 rain. Can't do that. Trying to give you guys a great experience. So I go upstairs and I go, okay, I'll just sit down in the hallway. There's a rug here. It'll, it's good for the sound. No problem. Right? I sit down in the hallway and I realize that because I lived in that house for about, I don't know, 19, 20 years of my life, I don't hear what you guys will hear, which is everywhere you go on that second floor, there's ticking clocks in just about every room on the second floor. And I got so used to them as a kid that I go into that house and I don't hear them. But somebody who's not used to being in that house, it's all that they hear. So I go, I can't do it in this hallway because I don't hear the TikToking behind me, and all of you will, and you guys are going to be like, hey, what's with the TikToks? And I'll be like, did you listen to Sean Mooney at all? That's your question, what's with the TikToks? So I go into the bathroom, shut the door, muting the TikToks a little bit, you might hear them a little bit, grab my old microphone, plug it in, turn on Skype on the old computer, and boom, we're off to the races. But that's all to say, if you're wondering why it doesn't sound like I'm in the Not Sam studio for this interview, it's because I'm not in the Not Sam studio. However... I want you to go through history, okay? When my wife gives birth a year and a half ago, what happens? Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast comes to you live from the maternity ward of the hospital that that young man was born in, okay? Days after his birth, we're still in the hospital. I'm recording the State of Wrestling live from the maternity ward. We go on uh, vacation to Europe. What happens? Live from Bruges in a hotel room, 
Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast comes to you. I get home. There's no internet. I don't have an interview for you. What happens? We go to my parents' bathroom, and I talk to Sean Mooney. So here he is, this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And all of that is to say, I work as hard as I work to make sure that there is a product out for all of you guys. The least you can do is come to New York and get your ass to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, 200th show, live on Caroline's on Broadway, carolines.com for tickets, Thursday, August 16th, from the bathroom at my parents' house, ladies and gentlemen, the legend, Sean Mooney. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Somehow, for the first time on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, this is... This is big. This is big for anybody, uh, I think, that grew up watching wrestling around the same time as me. I think a lot of us did. And this man's face was, I would say, omnipresent on most of of WWE's programming for a lot of years. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Mooney. Sean, what's the haps? Wow. That's a hell of an introduction. Can you you just cut that loop off there for me and just send (laughs) it to me? Because Sam Roberts just made uh, one of the best introductions I've ever had uh, coming on as a guest with the podcast. Hey, I'm I'm glad we finally uh, were able to chat here because, you know, I was uh, I thought I was going to have to go all uh, Miz on you. You know, I saw that <laughs> <laughs> I saw that when he came into the studio and uh, was a little upset that uh, Conrad and and uh, I think Bruce were stopping in and he was he was kind of moved out of the way. But uh, I don't do that. That's not me. <laughs> no, I'm glad, and I'm glad you could see my true character. That we there were there were a lot of there was a lot of adversity in our way before oh, getting yeah. this interview. Yeah, yeah, but I, I tell you, I love that that uh, exchange between you two. I think I think Miz is awesome. I always have. Even uh, when the doubters were out there, I thought that the guy was like uh, incredibly talented. But I digress already. Well, you know, I mean, it's a good point. You were kind of people like me, people around my age. The way I interact with wrestlers I think has a lot to do with growing up watching guys like you and like Gene Okerlin and Lord Alfred Hayes and the way that you guys would interact with superstars when you guys were on TV I mean that's the model I think you can hear it in a lot of wrestlers voices now that they're I don't want to say mimicking but certainly inspired by the promos that were cut uh, with you by the superstars and I feel like you know Today's announcers, and this isn't a slight on anybody, it's just the way TV is made uh, yeah. now, don't really show a ton of personality by design, not because they don't have it. Um, but when you were around, even though you were the straight news guy, when it came time for you to go back and forth with any of these superstars, you would kind of show a lot of personality and you would react that off of a lot of what they were doing. Um, how How hands-on... Was Vince McMahon in the way that you were uh, that you interacted with these superstars, and what was kind of the instruction back then? Well, um, I want to back up a little on that question before uh, uh, we talk about that, because uh, you mentioned something I think is really important. That uh, you know, it is unfortunate today that these very talented announcers, and I've worked with a couple. Uh, you know, I worked with Charlie and uh, we did a, a DVD together and I thought she was very good. And I've watched some of these others. And it's just unfortunate they're not really given that opportunity to show that personality. Because I thought that that was a huge part of putting over these superstars when you got the opportunity. Because it was that interaction and that, and, uh, you know, and that reaction. 
and uh, it, it's it's unfortunate that that's the way it is. And like you said, it's not a slight to these people because I think that many of them, if given the opportunity, would really be a shine, you know, really shine and be part of of uh, you know the the product, really the content. They would really add to it because people like Gene Okerlund, geez, you know, you look back at some of the stuff Gene did, uh, and, and it's and it's really amazing as at what he brought to those promos back at, back in the day. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, like G- uh, uh, Vince, um, yeah, Vince has, I don't think he's changed a bit because I still know quite a few people that work with the company and they say he's as involved as ever. And he was very much involved. But one thing that was great about Vince, I mean, even though they would give you the instruction about where we were going with something, it wasn't uh, word for word scripted. So I think that that really added to it because a lot of those reactions were very real. Um, the other thing about it is that, uh, he didn't, you know, I don't ever really, I remember ever being yelled at by Vince or him getting in my face after doing, because that just wasn't his style. Now, maybe that changed later. I've heard stuff about, you know, when he gets in these headsets now, but back then he didn't. And I think that in some ways, um, man, did he cut me a lot of slack? Uh, I don't know if you've ever saw some of the really early stuff, Sam, but I mean, I was, I was. I, I, maybe I would say awful, but I was not good. <laughs> and it really, and you look at some of those early event centers and I'm yelling, you know, <laughs> you know Madison's very good on this Friday night. And I'm thinking like, who the hell told you to talk like that? And I, I came to the conclusion. I, fi- I finally figured it out. You know, Howard Finkel was the one who was the first guy who gave me any guidance when I went into the event center and he was a ring announcer, for God's sake. So you know, he's sitting there telling me, yeah, you really got to predict, Sean. You know, and, and really. And uh, I remember he always used to say, I would say WWF. And he'd say, no, it's WWF. You don't say it right. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Howard, yeah, right. But, uh, you know, uh, he did. Vince gave uh, really was uh, really good with me as far as uh, letting me develop. Uh, giving me a lot of opportunity to to get into that uh, role that I had. I won't say character, but that role that I had. I mean, there were times, I remember one time we were doing, it was a Steel Cage promo at this uh, live event, and we were doing a pre-tape, and I was supposed to go down inside this cage and do this thing. And Vince laid it out for me. It wasn't that tough, but I could not get the damn thing. I would just kept, and I, you know, I was, at that point, I was, pretty good i mean i thought but i just couldn't get this one and i'm thinking oh shit you know uh vince is lit he's i know he's in the truck and uh kerwin told me later he said uh better go talk to your boy and i remember vince came down you know down the steps i'm seeing i'm like oh god he's gonna and he came down and just said you know, I th- I think, pal, that you're 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 looking at you're concentrating too much on on the cage and just just do it and just say it. and i then i nailed it but, you know, he could have come down and just ream me because he, it was absolutely warranted. But back then, he really did work with me a lot when he had, you know, the, the opportunity. So I think that that allowed me to really uh, develop on my own. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I knew from the beginning I wasn't Gene Okerlund. I never tried to be. And I think that that's in a way we were able to complement each other after a while because we were two completely different announcers. Yeah, I so, think I think so too, and I feel yeah. I feel kind of two ways about the idea of announcers and personality and stuff because I agree. I, I think it adds tremendously. I mean, the the reason why so many of those promos are looked back so fondly upon is 
not only because of the superstars, but because of what you guys gave the superstars to work with. But at the same time, it takes a tremendous amount of understanding as to what your role is and what the product mm-hmm. is to do it right. Because, you know, when you watch, you know, stuff going on on the indies, when you watch people that aren't really trained to be wrestling announcers, people get themselves over because yep. you're so anxious to show that personality. Everybody wants to be Bobby Heenan or Mean Gene. And I think that that's why it's just kind of a blanket rule now that nobody shows that kind of personality because the learning curve of being able to use personality in order to get other superstars over and not get yourself over is a really, really difficult thing to master. Yeah. And you nailed it right there because that uh, you look back on those uh, you know thousands of promos those those interviews that Gene and I did Gene certainly did a lot more but even with Gene I mean Gene would have a line that would you know drop you I mean he just but I, I you never he never put himself above the talent and he never crossed that line and uh, that's ex- that's what makes good announcers to be able to you know still be entertaining but you're not the show. And that really is, yeah, that is an absolute uh, art to do that. Um, and, and, you know, Gene Okerlund was a master at it. And I, I learned a lot from him in that, uh, you know, regard. So how often were you on the road in those days? Because in my mind's eye, I feel like most of what you did was in Stanford and was the event center and was the, you know, even later on, you know, at the beginning, it was the event center in front of all the monitors. And then later it was the live event center in front of the kind of multicolored early 90s backdrop. But it was all studio stuff. You know, how often were you on the road going to shows and doing those locker room promos? Well, you know, prior uh, to my arrival, um, you know, uh, Craig DeGeorge, Craig Minervini um, and Gene were out on the road, they'd go to these uh, house shows and these TV tapings, and they were, and they would do these all live. And that was the reason that they came up with the event centers because it was ridiculous. These guys would, you know, start doing these uh, promos that would last two and a half minutes to localize these markets. And someone finally brilliantly figured out, you know what? We don't need to have the guys do this. We can have a central location like a news center, and that guy does the traffic and throw. And these guys can do so many general interviews, and then we'll have them do a, a few specifics. But that guy in the studio is the one who's going to do the, you know, the, the uh, real work as far as customizing these markets. So uh, you were right. I I spent most of my time in Stanford where some weeks we'd customize up to 90 markets, which was just an insane amount of house shows they were doing. And, um, you know, and as you mentioned, when we started talking, I did those for every show. I mean, you could not get away from me uh, with the event center as far as, you know, superstars and challenge and uh, international and, I mean, everything, uh, prime time. And uh, I, that's what I, I would take about four days to do that in a week. And, of course, then somebody would get hurt and I'd get the red phone at the desk of Howard telling me, uh, yeah, uh, Barb hurt his leg. Uh, you got to do 16 markets over again, which, oh. as you could imagine, was not something you wanted to hear. And then I would go to TV tapings pretty often because we would do, uh, you know, customized things. And then all the pay-per-views. But I was nowhere near on the road like I was, or like a lot of these other guys. You know, I wasn't going to these house shows, and I wasn't uh, mostly TV tapings, which we did every three weeks back then. Yeah, I mean, I remember. So I grew up uh, in England for kind of the 
formative. Yeah, wow. yeah so I, I watched like from the time I was maybe, I don't know, four to eight or nine years old. I was living Sky. In, exactly. I was living in mm. England and watching on Sky Sports. So yeah. my I watched Superstars and Challenge, of course, but my memory of those event centers was really, for the most part, prepping pay-per-views, plugging the magazine, yeah. things like that, because we didn't get a ton of live events. It wasn't until really much later, like I was probably a tape trader you know, in high school when I started to try to find VHS copies of old episodes of Superstars and Challenge and stuff like that, that I realized yeah. it kind of clicked in because depending on where these tapes would come from, it would be different event centers. And I realized, oh my God, these guys, the Sean Moonies of the world were just sitting there recording a different event center for every single market. And I, I, I mean, I can't imagine that must've just been... Ugh. I mean, every day, you know, however many hours a day. That's crazy. Yeah. Groundhog day. Yeah. Really. <laughs> and, you know, there was so much material, you couldn't put it in a prompter. So I had to you know, ad lib that stuff. And I would get, you know, there was things you could do. But still, you had to nail the market. You had to nail whatever the uh, venue was. Yeah. And it just went on and on. And, and a, a great story about uh, that Sky Television. When we started doing that, uh, pretty much Alfred and I were the first ones to do any kind of customization uh, you know, for England. And um, I remember the first time we went over there and Gene taught me early on to localize things, you know, and you couldn't get on the internet back then, but I would get these atlases and, you know, come up with these little towns and I would you know, localize things and find out a bar somewhere or whatever. So we were one of the first ones to really be addressing people in England. And I remember the first time we went over there and uh, I remember, you know, people would recognize me when I went to, you know, different house shows or whatever. But for the most part, I lived a very <laughs> normal life. We went to England and we were staying in this hotel. And I remember Bobby was with us and, uh, you know, a few other people. And we were sitting in this bar and these fans came and just, you know, rushed this hotel. There was just hundreds of them. And I thought, well, they don't know who I am. I mean, they're going to, you know, Bobby and there was a few of the boys there. And I kept hearing these people say, it's the lad, it's the lad. <laughs> and it, they were like me. And I figured like, what the hell? Well, it was because I was talking about them, where they lived and who, you know, and uh, that was, that just absolutely blew me away. Everywhere we went too, it was crazy. Did you, I mean, and, and, and you also, like, you have to keep in mind, and you probably don't realize this as you're doing it, because you're sitting in this studio with three other people for hours yeah. a day, just yeah. repeating yourself over and over. It's not even like it's real life, but yeah. for us watching, your face, like, well, you know, we watch this stuff religiously, and your face is, you know, the most consistent face that we see, because not every superstar is on every week for sure, but every single week. Sean Mooney is there, you know, throwing to this guy, throwing to that guy, throwing to this promo. So, you know, you do become a TV star, like right under your nose. Yeah, and uh, it took me a long time to understand that now because, you know, when I started, you know, I did that appearance on the thousandth episode of Raw. Right. And that's really the first time, Sam, I ever came back and had really done anything. And I just remember my son had set up this Twitter account for me at the time, and I took him there to the event with me. It was like this 27-hour mara marathon. Uh, and there's, I'll, I'll tell you some great stories about that sometime. But uh, anyway, the next day we're going to the hotel, and he looks at my Twitter and goes, Dad, look at this. I'm like, what? It was like 3,000 uh, followers on Twitter in one night. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? 
And then I started hearing from people, you know, trying to get me to go to different uh, these uh, memorabilia shows and stuff like that for signings. And I was thinking, like, what? Why the hell do they would they want me? I mean, to to be at these things. And uh, I finally went to one and, and and to actually talk to some of these fans that loved that era, the '80s and '90s. And uh, like I talk about it in my podcast, there, I, I don't think there's ever been a time that has matched that. And we could probably go on for hours why. But when it comes down to it, it was just a magical time. There was so much going on, uh, you know, what Vince did with professional wrestling and uh, the Hulkamania and the whole thing. And it was during their childhood. And that to them was a an awesome time of life. So when you see somebody who was a part of that during that, when, when you see those shows, it brings back such great memories. It's like running into somebody who was, uh, had a bit part or had a part on that favorite television show and you get to meet them. And once that kind of got in my brain, I said, now I get it. <laughs> and, and really it just was kind of a light bulb because I honestly, Sam, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I just said, I would, I just did event center. I mean, I stood there and held a microphone. You know, and uh, but now I get it. I understand it because when you're a kid, it's magical. Those guys were bigger than life. They were the, uh, you know, their heroes, in, in these comic book heroes right there that they could go see and uh, good versus evil and the bad guys and, uh, you know, Hulkamania and all of it. So it, it's it really was an incredible time. Now, you ended up leaving WWE in what year? 93. OK, so 93. So you kind of got to see the reality that Hulk Hogan could be leaving this company, is leaving this company, is not going to be a part of this company. As a yeah. guy who's been there for years and as a guy who's watched the company prosper and, and kind of lived through Hulkamania and made a living at a company that was kind of working off Hulkamania, is that a oh, yeah. scary thing, even on your level, when you're in the WWE and you're like, oh my God, Hogan's leaving? Like, this is, this is the guy. Yeah, but then you'd seen, and, and I heard a discussion the other day, where you uh, there was this transition because in, in, uh, initially when that all started when it really started to explode in '85 and then you saw that wave you know but I think that Vince saw you know in the future that for whatever reason this is not going to last forever if I'm riding this one horse and so we've got to start developing and bringing making these super other superstars. And that's where, you know, where Randy came in and, uh, you know, that's where we saw these other superstars really start to come into the limelight. And yeah, it was scary, but then you saw the reaction to what, uh, you know, the macho man was doing and some of these other, you know, big time heels that we had. So it became, you know, it, it, it the company stopped being uh, Hulkamania and be, started to become the WWF. And then of course, what we've seen it, you know, evolve into in the WWE. But I think that that was a, a great lesson for Vince. And it was a frightening time, as you, as you mentioned, that there was, you know, a lot going on then. And it was one, you know, you wondered some days that, uh, you know, they're going to board up the windows. I remember they at the TV facility, they took the water cooler away. I mean, like it's cost cutting, cost cutting measures. I'm like, what the hell? I guess... <laughs> I guess I'm not going to be uh, ever getting up in front of the plane on one of those concerts, <laughs> you know. But uh, that's yeah, when you, was, that's when you know it's trouble when when yeah. the, when the free pretzels disappear from the yeah. break room. Yeah, when yeah. the water cooler goes and they don't have uh, you know they got pretzels in uh, you know 
that that that's in the the uh, the room uh you know things are going bad but uh, yeah it was a frightening time then we'll get back to my parents bathroom in a moment but i have to tell you something something you might learn from my parents bathroom there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event at the best prices fully guaranteed look you're coming to new york right you want to be a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, 200th show at Caroline's. You want to be a part of SummerSlam Weekend. You want to go see NXT. You want to go Raw, SmackDown. Maybe you're going to be in New York a little bit longer. You want to check out a Yankees game. You want to go to a Broadway show. Maybe you want to go to a comedy show. Maybe you want to go to a concert while you're here. Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie were just playing in New Jersey a couple of weeks ago. Where is the one place that you're going to go to get tickets to all of those spots to get the best prices on those tickets and to get the best seats in the house, ladies and gentlemen, you know it by now. It's SeatGeek, one of my very favorite sponsors to this here podcast. They have supported us for a very long time. And I have to tell you, I fully support them. SeatGeek makes it so easy. You're already using your phone to listen to this, I would imagine. So pull out your phone and download that SeatGeek app. I've got it on my phone. It's so easy to use. You go, you find the seating chart of whatever event you want to go to. You can do it by location. You can do it by event type. You can do it however you want to do it. Find your event. Pull up the seating chart. It's ranked. Is it green? Is it yellow? Is it red? It'll tell you the best value tickets in the house. It'll show you the best seats in the house. Whatever you need, SeatGeek has you hooked up and those seats are fully guaranteed, okay? It's gonna be amazing. You gotta try it out. And if you need more reason to try it out, I'll give you an even better deal. That's right. Not only am I gonna guarantee you that you're already gonna get the best deal, you're gonna get those guaranteed tickets, but you're gonna get an even better deal because my listeners are getting $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's right. You never use SeatGeek before. You hear me talking about it. I don't know if now's the right time. Now's the right time because you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. How? Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. S-A-M. Put it in. Get $20 off your first purchase. Go see whatever it is that you want to see. Hey man, life's an event. SeatGeek has the tickets. Go to SeatGeek. Get that app. Promo code Sam, and just do it. Do it now. Let's get back to Sean Mooney in my parents' bathroom. So you left WWE. Did you do that because you were worried about the company? Did you do that because you wanted some kind of mainstream news credibility? Or did you do it because it had just run its course and a man can only read uh, live events for so many markets before he goes nuts? Yeah, it was pretty much that, uh, you know, people always ask, you know, did you leave, uh, you know, did you get fired? Did you, and it really, it just got to the point where, you know, I, the event center was killing me. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things you have the, the, all this great things happen to you, but then you've, the, the price you pay is, is t really, I mean, to be in a room after a while, it just drives you crazy. And then, you know, doing these events and I didn't mind it. And I even went to events and said, look, I want to start doing more. And that's when they had the uh, Murray Hodgson uh, experiment that didn't work out so well. And initially, he was supposed to help take over the event center so I could go do more. I don't know if they were thinking, if this kid could do it, then Mooney's out. But at least that was kind of the door that was opening for me because, you know, I was doing, uh, you know, these Coliseum videos and I was uh, getting involved in doing a lot of the vignettes and I 
the, the prime time. And I thought, you know, I can do this stuff and I love doing it. I just wanted to do more. But the event center, you know, was a four day thing. And, and Vince is like, well, that's, that's most important. And so it just seemed like that's where I was going to be. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that I wanted to be a newsman or anything like that. That's another story, how that, all that happened. But, you know, I just wanted, I didn't, you know, it's kind of that crossroads. Okay. You want to be a wrestler announcer for the rest of your career, or do you want to do other things? And I always wanted to do entertainment. And I didn't know if the opportunity was going to be there because they, they were bringing, you know, auditioning other announcers. And, you know, I just felt like it was, it was a time to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I remember, you know, watching primetime and every now and then one of the matches would pop up and it'd be you and like Lord Alfred Hayes or something doing commentary. But it wasn't all that often that you got to do it. That was something that you wanted to do. I want to be doing more of this play-by-play stuff. No, it wasn't necessarily the play-by-play, although, you know, uh, Alfred and I did hours and hours. It's just that it wasn't seen in the United States. We (laughs) did all the international matches. And I thought, you know, I, I initially, I think it was very good at it, but I think at, at, uh, after we'd done it a while, I thought Alfred and I made a pretty damn good team, but Vince didn't, didn't like us together. He didn't like me mm. doing it. And so I kind of knew, well, that, that's probably not going to happen. And it wasn't something I, I really wanted to do, but I love doing the, the more interaction with the superstars. I love doing those interviews. I love doing, uh, you know, the vignettes, uh, Coliseum was a blast. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that Alfred, and I did early on. We were, we had no uh, no uh, you know uh, ties on us at all. We could do pretty much whatever we wanted to because they had no idea what the hell these Coliseum videotapes were going to do. They had they had no clue that they were going to take off the way they did. And once that happened, you know, then the reins got tighter. But if you look at uh, tighter, but if you look at some of those tapes that we did early on, it was you know we could do pretty much whatever we want. We'd go in a prop room and just grab stuff and and just you know, ad lib through it, you know, and, and, uh, that was a blast and I loved doing that and I wanted to do more. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't know if the opportunity was ever going to come. And I remember sitting in that office with Vince when I told him and he said, well, you know, there's, there could be things down the road and he, and he goes, but you're going to, you're going down South, aren't you? I'm like, no, Vince. <laughs> what I, I said, if I, I want to work in professional wrestling, I'm working here. This, why would I go down South? And I swear to God, I don't think he believed me until I showed up on the air uh, at WWOR in New York, that I was going down there. And uh, so, yeah, he didn't, uh, it's, he didn't believe me. He thought for sure, because everybody else was heading south, he thought that I was going to be there too. And, and I've, I've been asked about that, and I never even had a conversation. I never talked to Eric. I remember I talked to Tony one time after he'd gone down there, and he just kind of in passing said, would you be interested? And I said, no, no, if I'm gonna, you know, and this was, before that, but that was it, you know, that was never even a consideration for me. I remember you disappearing off TV. And then I remember I I knew you were on UPN on WWOR because I was sitting there and I think, I think they played the thunder in paradise Hulk Hogan movie. This is how I remember it. It was the (laughs) mid nineties. I'm a kid. WWOR plays the thunder. And this is New York. WWOR is a New York station. They play thunder in paradise. And then there's a commercial that says and they're obviously trying to attract hulk hogan fans they say coming up on the upn 9 news we're going to show you the secrets of pro wrestling and i go oh man i gotta see this so i stayed up to yeah. watch it and sean mooney comes on and i go what the like i had seen a ghost because you know yeah. when, you, when you leave wwe was it difficult yeah. to to enter into the mainstream world like wwor was after leaving wwe to be the wrestling guy 
who's now going into a world where he's got to be kind of taken seriously as a journalist? Oh, Sam, you have no idea. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, and you know, I left there. I think my, uh, my confidence was a little better than what I, you know, I, I really thought, well, all these things I've done, I've been, you know, I've, uh, broadcast all over the world i've done live television i've done studio work and i mean they know I, me in england i'm a TV yeah star. they yeah i'm the lad over there, <laughs> right and uh and uh, dude i was i was uh man i couldn't get anything it was terrible and um i had a child on the way and i i fortunately i had a good agent i had I'd gotten a good agent who was uh you know got me all kinds of great uh, auditions but nothing. And, and, uh, I was doing, you know, some voiceover work. I, I actually was where I did a, a memorabilia show on cable with this guy hawking, uh, you know, baseball stuff. I mean, I just, you know, to do whatever I had to do, I was doing, I was going into the, I was taking the train into the city to do these auditions for commercials. And I got a couple that actually helped pay the bills, but I, I was like, what the hell, what am I going to do? And then I got an opportunity. What the, my uh, agent said, look, uh, WWR, they have uh, the second half of their news. They do these features. And it's long-form uh, stories. And I drove through a blizzard and went down there and auditioned for Will Wright, who was the news director there, and had kind of a vision, a new uh, you know, vision for news. And, it, and I, you know, if it wasn't for him, I mean, a wrestling announcer, but he liked me for some reason. And uh, brought me in and said, look, we're going to sh- – bring in uh, and we'll see how you do uh, doing these feature stories. Well, I'd been out of the writing game and putting, you know, stories together for a long time, but I had honed my craft when I was with Major League Baseball Productions. I mean, you know, I produced television shows for them, uh, Greats of the Game and This Week in Baseball, I produced that for a year and so I, you know, so I I think I surprised them. I don't think they expected that I knew how to put a story together and I I started doing these features for them. Uh, and we, uh, Sam, I was on a one a week by week contract with them, and then it was two weeks, and then it was a month, and uh, you know one thing led to another. I really liked my stories, and then I filled in one night. It's like Wally Pip. I mean, uh, the anchor went down with a migraine headache, and they needed somebody to go in, and uh, that's how I started anchoring. And that's they, but for me to say I want to leave the WWF and become a news anchor was. Not the, the last thing in my head. Was there that was a, one of the reasons I made, you know, I, I had a news, uh, I had an internship in college and worked at a news station and, and said, I'm never, when I got done with that internship, I'm never going into local news. Well, look what, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm back in it today. So it's funny at, how things go. At any point, did you try to get back to WWE? Like when, when the jobs weren't coming, did you try to call Vince again and say, look, maybe I made a mistake? Did you think to yourself, I got to call Bischoff and see if they're hiring up there because this isn't happening. Well, I would have never gone to WCW and and uh, but at stupidly and and uh, stubbornly, I never made that call. And and I, looking back, I I wish I would have, but I didn't. I was too damn determined that I'm gonna I'm gonna see this through, and I did. And really, until years and years later, did I even I got a, a call about doing some things that I ever even think about going back, but. I think that it was just being young and uh, not realizing the opportunities that you had, uh, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I did. I, I regret. I you know thought about, but I never did make that call. Were you and and the reason that you did nothing related to wrestling was that all because oh I don't think anybody wants to see me. Nobody remembers me, or was part of that that stubborn pride going? 
no, I'm not coming back until I've proven, at least to myself, that I have value outside this industry? Well, a little of both. But, uh, you know, bottom line, though, I, to me, that was the only company I'd ever wa- I would ever wanted to work for, ever want to. And I, if I was going to go back, it was going to be with them. And uh, did you, that was it. Did you grow up a fan of wrestling? No. No. I, you know, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, where I live now. But um, I, I, you know, we didn't, ha- we didn't have any shows. And we didn't have, of course, you know, we didn't have TV. That uh, We had no local uh, wrestling on. I remember, you know, when it was on, you, know, where you would see it once in a while. But no, we did, I just didn't have the uh, the means to to see it, and um, so you know I got up, I got, grew up, and got into sports, and uh, you know that was kind of my focus. How but until the opportunity came up, no. How did you wrap your head around the product? Like I said, you know, in the beginning of the conversation, like there's this such a delicate balance in getting talent over and not getting yourself yeah. over in in selling the product without coming across like you know a used car salesman or something. How did you? How long did it take you and how did you wrap your head around the product of what it exactly is that we're selling here? It it was, it was on the job training, uh, because, you know, I certainly, and back then, uh, Sam, think about what the business was like. We're talking, you know, 1988, there was, you know, kayfabe was still very strong in the industry and the business. And also, uh, you know, these two worlds were colliding, you know, Vince was, Bringing in, he realized that I cannot take this company to the next level unless I bring other people from the outside who understand how that production world, that business world works. So you had old school, you had guys that had come up from generations of uh, of wrestling, and then uh, you know these people that came from television production, some of them from network, and being thrown into this world and people are speaking Carney and you're walking into a locker room and nobody <laughs> trusts you. And, you know, I mean, it took, it took a year, but, uh, for me to even, uh, really get accepted and then also really feel like, okay, now I know what this is about. And you know, thank God that, uh, Vince was patient with me for, he saw something in me early on. I even think about that audition I had, you know, and, uh, and Bruce has mentioned it a few times with the, you know, sell me a broom that somehow I, I did well. And I also had come up with some other thing. I, I, you know, going up there on the train from New York, I'm saying, I'm going to have to do something different here. So I came up with this crazy <laughs> little skit that I did. And I think that they thought, well, uh, geez, he's, you know, he thinks on his feet and, and he, we didn't ask him to do that. And he just threw that in there. So I think I stood out, but, uh, you know, Vince was, was really patient with me. Yeah. I, so what happened first? Did they trust you? Did the wrestlers trust you or did you just learn how to speak Carney? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was about the same time. I could pick <laughs> up stuff. But no, I think uh, they accepted me first, but it, would, it wasn't easy. And yeah, I mean, I would imagine like your family and the people from outside this world, when you yeah. start trying to explain to them what your job is like, do you even bother? Because people who aren't at all familiar with the wrestling business, like you have to sit them down I would say for hours, but really for days, weeks, and months before you can finally make them understand. It's it's the most unique business in the world, I believe. Yeah, but you have to live it to really yeah. understand it. And um, you know, like I said, you can. People probably thought they're smart in a number of ways, but you have you, you really don't have any idea until you're really living in that world. And um, you know, a lot of these people, the ones that are the best at it, 
they're some of the greatest, uh, you know, they call them workers or whatever, but to me, they're, they're just brilliant. These, these, uh, psychologists that just know how to read humans. Uh, you know, if you really look at it, uh, they know how to re- read crowd reaction. They know how to, to, uh, work people to get them to do things that they would not normally do. And, 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 uh, you know, for business deals and stuff like that. And so there it's, you know, it's base, it's, you know, it's roots are in carnival. So that probably gives you some idea, you know, in carny, like the language, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. And it's almost like when you're in, you feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're the part of the mafia that, uh, you know, doesn't whack people, you know, it's yeah. just like, you're, you know, you're in and, uh, you're like a made guy and you're, and it's that way forever, but it's not easy getting in by any stretch of the imagination. I would imagine when you left, you had to step away from the product entirely. Uh, at what point did you start watching again? Cause you know, you just brought up the Miz earlier. At what point do you start watching kind of as a fan? Uh, it was, it was a years, a few years later when, you know, my son, uh, when he got older, like uh, five or six, he really started getting into it. And that kind of brought me back cause I, I, you know, we used to sit and watch. And so that was God, that was when that was, it was probably the nineties, uh, you know, late nineties, no early two thousands too. But I, I had kind of caught, started watching cause I was fascinated by the rock and you know, that whole thing with, with stone cold and everything in the attitude era, I was like, this is different. And, uh, so I, you know, I wasn't, a, uh, you know, weekly, but I, I started to keep up on it because I was just fascinated by what was happening. As that was going on, did you ever have any thoughts of, okay, how does Sean Mooney, how would Sean Mooney fit into the attitude era? Or were you thinking to yourself, yeah, this is probably not the time for me. Oh, I would, I wanted, I would have loved to have been a part of it. <laughs> you know, when uh, Jonathan Coachman and he got to do all that stuff with The Rock, I was like, oh, that's so me. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. I, I think I got to let you go. You're a busy guy. Yeah. You got a hundred things oh, going on. Yes. Um, but I do want to, of course, whenever you're in New York, extend the invitation to you. Um, you got a podcast now. You are back full force in the wrestling world, and I love to see it. And I think probably the funnest part of this, because I know as I was listening to you, it hit me a couple times. There's certain, I, I don't even know what words they were, but there's certain moments at, in this conversation that we were having that I go, <laughs> that's the voice. That's him. You know? <laughs> and, and I think that, I think that a lot of people are going to have the same experience listening to this. So, uh, Sean, I appreciate you making the time, uh, and we got to do this again, man. Yeah, and folks, please tune in to uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. Um, a lot of my old pals, a lot of the superstars uh, have been guests, and we have uh, new ones every week. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a conversation. I don't call them interviews. And, uh, you know, Sam, I really love listening to the stuff that you've done. You were uh, been an inspiration to me just listening to some of this, I, I, you know, the way you have uh, this rapport with the people. And, uh, you know, it's been fun. It really has been fun to be back. And I'm also going to be a part of StarCast when that comes up. So, uh, folks, uh, keep tuning in. Well, that's incredible right. to hear you say that, and I appreciate it, man. All right, Sam. Here is Sam Roberts. Oh, man, how cool was that? Let me know if you guys had the same experience that I did listening to Sean Mooney talk. Just I don't there were just certain moments. Maybe it wasn't words so much as moments in that conversation where I just like listened to his voice and I just got that feeling. I don't know if it's deja vu because you know what it is. Usually with deja vu, you don't exactly know what you're feeling. But with Sean Mooney, there were there was just like statements, just sounds 
that he was making that were bringing me all right back to my childhood, watching Sean Mooney at that event center, getting hyped up for whatever pay-per-view or TV show or live event or whatever it was that he was hyping up. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget the shock when I saw Sean Mooney on UPN. Because back then, that was like 94, 95. The internet wasn't the internet that we know now. So people could just disappear. When they would leave TV, they were just gone. You know, unless you had like you were a subscriber to the Wrestling Observer or something like that, which I was when I was a kid, they would just disappear. And then one day to just, I'm not a kid, I'm not watching the 10 p.m. news on Channel 9, but one day to just turn on that news one evening and see Sean Mooney there, it really was as much like catching, uh, uh, watching, seeing a ghost as anything I could imagine. You know, it was really, it, it was really cool, but it was very, very cool getting to talk to Sean Mooney and uh, and having him on the show. Uh, and, and, you know, for him to say nice things about me, like I don't even know how to deal with that, to tell you the truth. I don't know how to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, Sean, of course, you know, you pay attention to what I'm doing. It's nuts. It's totally crazy. Um, but thanks again to Sean Mooney, and make sure you guys listen to his podcast because uh, it's just cool that he's got he's sharing his insight, especially sharing his insight on the business today. Very, very interesting stuff. Uh, speaking of the business today, I did notice real quick that a couple of the guys from WWE were posting tweets apologizing for old tweets. And man, it's just like if, if they feel that way, I'm all for it. If people want to apologize for stuff they did in the past, uh, you know, apologize for stuff you did in the past. That's fine. I think a lot of people change. And it's kind of what I've been talking about. You know, there, there's this thing in us that should allow us to forgive people to make who make mistakes, especially when these mistakes are a long time ago. Uh, I, I think, and this isn't just for wrestling, all the sort of uh, tweets that, that get drawn up, you know, it happened to a baseball player this week, it happens to celebrities, it happened to James Gunn from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. You sit there and it's tweets from years and years and years ago, and I'll never understand how... Somebody can make an offhanded joke. Maybe they were having an off night. Maybe they used poor taste for one moment. Maybe it was a different time and and people weren't as aware um, as to how insensitive it was to make certain comments. That happens too. But this idea that somebody can tweet something six, seven, eight years ago and it comes up now, right? There's no, it's clear that in the last however many years, they haven't been making jokes like this. They're a different person. You know, I guess apologizing is fine, but it's when people decide it's time to punish people for tweets that came out years ago that don't really match the person that we know today. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a shame. I don't think, you know, we love social media. We love Twitter and we love the idea that, uh, People that we look up to, people that we look at as celebrities, people that we idolize in some ways, just people that we're naturally curious about, get to express themselves, and we get to read these expressions. And, you know, what this is going to do, if you're going to drag stuff up and kind of bring it out of context from years and years and years ago, it's just going to make people, you know, not do this stuff, not interact on social media anymore. And Maybe that is the best thing. You know, maybe not every thought is supposed to be recorded, but I just, I hope that we're all in the same category. Now, if somebody's tweeting out bad stuff today, then of course, you know, this is reflective of who they are today and they should kind of answer for it. But if it's from a long time ago and their tweets don't match that anymore, I just don't think that there's much of a conversation to be had. But, you know, if they want to apologize, good on them and good on them to make clear 
that they're not that person anymore. Uh, I do want to talk about the Mae Young Classic before we get into uh, the state of wrestling because it's coming up. Uh, I don't know the exact date of it. I think it's uh, after SummerSlam, I want to say. But I think uh, 27 so far. Female superstars, wrestlers. I guess if they're not WWE, they might not be superstars. They might just be wrestlers. Have been announced uh, in this May Young Classic. I believe they said that the finals of the May Young Classic were going to go down at Evolution, the all-female pay-per-view in October. So I wonder. So I would imagine this May Young Classic will start sometime after SummerSlam and run through October. Um, but some of the people, of course, Caitlyn is going to be in it. It's going to be fun to see Caitlyn back in a WWE ring. Uh, Deanna Peruzzo, uh, I'm super uh, a Perazzo, I'm, I'm super excited about seeing her in a WWE ring. She's done. She did like a little bit of enhancement work on SmackDown. You know, I, at this point, it must be a year ago. But really cool to see her getting a shot. And I believe she is signed to NXT. Uh, this is just going to be the first place that she's showcased. I really hope she goes far in the tournament, too. You know, I think Caitlyn, it's cool to see her back. But this should really just be a reintroduction because I think Caitlyn, we're ready for her to be on the main roster. She doesn't really need to go all that far in the May Young Classic because she, she can just show up on the main roster and be competing for either the Raw or the SmackDown Women's Championship right away. Uh, Mercedes Martinez is back. Mia Yim is back, which I'm super pumped about. I watched Mia Yim compete on the East Coast Indies for years and years and years. So watching her, that's what I love to see. People who've just been grinding and grinding and grinding get these opportunities. Uh, I think it's 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 awesome. Uh, Tony Storm. Madison Rain. Ashley Rain, I guess, is what she's going by. That, to me, was probably the coolest announcement of the week, that Madison Rain is going to be in this thing. Um, she's got a really great mind for wrestling she's done stuff uh, in the creative end she's done stuff on the broadcasting end she's obviously done a ton on the wrestling end and to see somebody compete in ring of honor tna and now the may young classic slash wwe all in one year it's just super super cool you know it's really cool uh so i i think it'll be an interesting tournament for sure i loved when they did it the last times um and i i do wonder like I don't think Ashley Rain. I think that's what I, that's the the thing that I just read. Header build is Ashley Rain, but I don't think Madison Rain has a contract with WWE. I think right now, as far as I know, she's just signed on to do the May Young Classic. Um, so I, I would imagine if she's got that much history and she's being introduced, I would imagine that she will do stuff with NXT. Who knows? You know, if they're going to start, they they're talking about starting an NXT UK Women's Division. Maybe they ship Madison Rain off to the UK. They may do this stuff. That's what you have to keep in mind. That if they're starting a full-on NXT UK brand, there is a possibility that not everybody on that brand will be from the UK. Same way not everybody on the NXT brand is from North America, right? Like, they could move guys and girls over from either the NXT roster or from the independents or wherever, and put them on that UK roster and have them wrestle that style. There's no doubt about it that the NXT UK, the NXT UK tournament that we saw on the WWE Network several weeks ago looks very, very different from the NXT product. So I don't think we're going to be confusing anything between the NXT product and the NXT UK product. The NXT UK product feels like it was far more uh, inspired by the independent scene in the UK, which is a pretty unique scene right now. Uh, and yes, 
Just about everybody is from the UK, but still, I would not be shocked if certain people were brought in and then went over to the UK. I mean, it could be something for Madison Rain. It'd be a really easy move to sit there and be like, you know, I, I don't need to prove anything to NXT. I don't need to prove anything to WWE. I've been all over the world. I'm going to take over the UK. I'm not going to let you guys have it. It's like a heel thing, you know? I'm not going to let the UK have this show. I'm going to be the one who runs things here. Whatever you want to do. I just think it could be a cool opportunity. I don't think you have a ton of people that aren't from the UK because then you start to go like, well, why are we doing this in the UK? But a little sprinkling, a little sprinkling of people from uh, from this side of the pond, I think it could be interesting. So we'll see. We'll see. That's that's the fun part about WWE right now is that there are more opportunities to do things with WWE for athletes around the world than ever before, whether it's a full-time contract on the main roster, whether it's a spot in NXT, whether it's just a couple matches in this tournament, you know? Keep in mind, Zack Sabre Jr. wrestled in a WWE ring. That Cruiserweight Classic was a WWE production, you know, Ibushi. It happened, and they didn't end up signing contracts, But and I wish they had, to tell you the truth, but... There's just opportunity to do a lot now associated with the WWE just because there's so much going on. There Also, there's rumors about Mauro Ronaldo doing the commentary for the May Young Classic. I wouldn't be at all shocked by that. You know, they've used, they used Mauro in the UK. Obviously, he's the NXT lead uh, uh, commentator, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Uh, but I do wonder... I wonder who's going to be doing the commentary for Evolution. Like, I... I uh, if it's going to be a full female staff. How about that kickoff show, huh? You going to have any dudes on the kickoff show? How about effeminate dudes with wrestling podcasts? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, they could do it. I feel like you could easily do, clearly you can do a female ring announcer. JoJo can be your ring announcer. Um, I think you will have female referees, but to do all female referees, when we've only got one or, I think you've only got one female referee. You might have two female referees. To do all female commentators, when really, as far as female commentators go, you don't have a staff of them. You know, Beth Phoenix, I think, should be included, but like a lead play-by-play person. I, I, I feel like you don't want to add in women just for the sake of adding in women. I, I think almost like if you're regular, whether it's Michael Cole, whether it's uh, Tom Phillips, whether it's Mauro Ranallo, if your standard, one of your standard lead commentators does that pay-per-view, it might lend more credibility. You know, I don't know. You've got to have some female rep- representation in that commentary booth, whether it's one or two. That might be one way to do it. I think maybe maybe one man and two women in the commentary booth if you're not going to go all women. Um but yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I bet WWE doesn't even know for sure yet. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week in the state of wrestling. So uh, why spend any more time doing anything but doing that? It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Welcome. It's State of Wrestling time where we count down what are, according to me, the top five stories in this world of professional wrestling here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast each and every week, and I thought it only fair this week to start at story number five, certainly not the least important story, but just kind of where I want to begin, paying our respects to three superstars, three men that we lost uh, over the weekend, I believe. Uh, if Yeah, I believe it was Sunday, but I could be mistaken. 
That, of course, is uh, Brickhouse Brown, Brian Christopher, and Nikolai Volkov. Uh, awful. They say things like that come in threes, and that's a. Uh, it's terrible. It's terrible that things like that, if they really do come in threes, I wish they came in zeros. So, Brickhouse Brown, uh, I believe he had uh, cancer, prostate cancer, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but I believe it was some form of cancer. I didn't know, I mean, I knew of Brickhouse Brown, but Brickhouse Brown was a big star in the 80s and into the early to mid-90s, mainly down south. He never, to my knowledge, uh, was in WWE, but he did a bunch of stuff in AWA. He did a bunch of stuff in Memphis. I think he he ended his career in the USWA, uh, working for Jerry Lawler there, or Jerry Jarrett, or maybe both of them. Um, but, you know, he was one of those names that you heard about all the time, but I guess, you know, because he didn't make it to the international stage, there are people who are just unfamiliar. I do hope when stuff like this happens, you know, the legacy that these wrestlers leave is so important to so many of them. I mean, you know, Bret Hart talks about it all the time. Bret Hart talks about how important it was to have a DVD out with his matches on it and stuff. And I think Bret may be the most vocal about it. But a lot of guys, you know, wrestlers give up everything to be able to have this career. They give up their families. They give up their bodies. They give up their lives to be able to perform. And... The idea being that at the end of the day, they want to leave a legacy for the most part. So the one thing that I do hope is that when all is said and done, you know, you guys go out there and when you hear something like this happen, you go out of your way to find their catalog. You know, I, I, I think that, that that is probably, if you're not close to them, you know, if you're not family, that's probably one of the best things that you can do. And one of the things that we definitely do for WWE guys, but I think it's even more important for guys that were never in the WWE to go out there, find the tapes, find the stuff. It's easier than ever, whether it's WWE Network, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is, you can find it. To go out there and find what these guys' careers were all about. You know, I just, I think it's really, really important. Of course, we also lost Brian Christopher, uh, also known as Grandmaster Sexay, son of Jerry the King Lawler. Um, and this one was a real shame. He's only 46 years old. Of course, Brian Christopher, like so many others, uh, battled a lot of demons. Um, it was said that uh, he died of hanging, or he died after he was hanged, whether he hung himself or whatever. I think now there's investigations open. But uh, he died of a hanging uh, in a jail cell after being arrested again. Um it really is it really is a shame because you know Brian Christopher is one of these guys who he made an he's too cool is an act that everybody of that era remembers. You know there are some that are going to remember the light heavyweight division coming to the WWE when the cruiserweight division in WCW got so popular, when WWE brought over the great Sasuke for a little bit, but really it was about Takamichi Noku. They brought over Taka. They ended up bringing over Kaintai Funaki. They ended up bringing in Scott Taylor. They brought in uh, a handful of guys. But clearly, this division revolved around two sexy Brian Christopher as their top cruiserweight heel and Takamichi Noku as their top cruiserweight good guy. Uh, of course, Brian Christopher went on to team with Scott Taylor and become too much. 
they then evolved into Too Cool, which especially after adding Rikishi to the group and dancing and stuff, it kind of at first was this heel, obnoxious, poser, wannabe gangster group that, you know, you were invented for you to boot because they were like losers. But it evolved into something that was one of the more popular acts on TV. Now, they weren't having like, you know, these five-star matches or anything, but people got excited. They sold shirts. They sold sunglasses, you know. I saw people literally going to shows wearing ski goggles because that's what Grandmaster Sex A would wear to the ring. And when the three of them, Scotty Too Hottie, which still people talk about Scotty Too Hottie, you know what I mean? People still talk about doing the worm and the dance that Rikishi, Scotty Too Hottie, and Grandmaster Sex A would do after their matches. Uh, you know, you talk about wanting to have an impact in your legacy. At the end of the day, there's not that many acts that had as big an impact as Too Cool. And that might be a crazy thing to say. Some of you are like, come on, Sam. But realistically, when you talk about people, especially when you talk to people outside of the hardcore wrestling fan base, when you talk to people in the mainstream that watch here and there, a lot of people remember Too Cool, you know? And and it says a lot about the group, about the act, about the whole thing. So that was a horrible shame. And it's always a shame, too. Of course, you know, Jerry the King Lawler is one of the more beloved personalities in the history of WWE. So to know that, you know, Jerry Lawler's got to go through losing a kid, got to go through losing a son is pretty heartbreaking. So, you know, all of our thoughts and everything go out to the entire Lawler family. Uh, and of course, we also unfortunately lost Nikolai Volkov. I had never met Brickhouse Brown, obviously. I was not, you know, as familiar as I should be with his career. I unfortunately, I don't think, I don't think I ever met Brian Christopher. I certainly never interviewed him or anything. But I met Nikolai Volkov a few times. Nikolai Volkov also passed away. Uh, of course, one of the great heels, the Iron Sheik act is a hard act to follow. You know, the Iron Sheik was such a great heel. But Nikolai Volkov, the evil Russian who would come to the ring singing the Russian national anthem. That's another act that people always remember. And then, of course, he did the, I'm embarrassing, I'm, I'm, I'm hard up, uh, I need to be purchased by the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. He was the first member of the Million Dollar Corporation in like the 94-ish, the uh, early to mid-90s. And the gimmick was that uh, he was going through some hard times. He would wear the same suit every week. So eventually, in order to f- provide for his family, he had to uh, be bought. His services had to be purchased by the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and he would make him, Million Dollar Man would come out in his tuxedo with the dollar signs all over it, while poor Nikolai would have to come out in the tuxedo t-shirt with the cent signs on it. Brilliant writing, but a sad time for poor Nikolai. It was a fun character, though. Um, he hit two generations for sure. That early to mid-90s generation and that 80s generation. Um, You know, Nikolai was as nice a guy as you ever want to meet. You know, I met him a handful of times. I don't know exactly two, three, whatever it was. And always just a really sweet man. In a world where keeping your niceness is not always the easiest thing to do, Nikolai seemed to, you know. I met him obviously later on in his life within the last 10 years. And... Just, you know, he wasn't one of these hustlers that's out there. A lot of times you meet these older people and they're Virgiling you. Specifically, I'm talking about Virgil. Um, but Nikolai never did that. Nikolai was just a sweet man and a good a good person. And uh, yeah, it's a shame to see all three 
of those guys uh, leave us. But it's always it's always tough when any superstar goes. It's always a sad day as a wrestling fan, especially when three people get taken all at once. It's a sad day, but we do want to pay a little bit of tribute to all three of them here on the, on the wrestling podcast because it's a wrestling podcast and it wouldn't be much of one if we didn't at least you know acknowledge the careers that all three of those men had uh, before they passed away. Uh, we'll move on to story number four. And of course, the rest of these stories are, are far more pleasant, if a little more, maybe a little more trivial. We're not talking about life and death anymore, but still more pleasant and more wrestling talk. Uh, and this, I wouldn't say is trivial. It's just not life or death. New Japan puts out a statement this week that says uh, they want Nakamura back. They would welcome Nakamura back to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And why wouldn't they? Um, you know, I don't know when Nakamura's contract actually ends. There is no doubt in my mind that if Nakamura went back to New Japan, he could become the biggest star in the promotion once again. You know, I, he could. Then again, you know, we all thought he could become a megastar in WWE, or at least a lot of us did. Um, but definitely, with the way the Bullet Club has evolved over in New Japan, with everything that's going on with uh, with Naito, with everything that's going on with everybody over there. You know, if, for instance, if we're going to see a Chris Jericho Nakamura match ever, I would prefer that match to happen in a New Japan ring than a WWE ring, just because that match and the presentation of that match, I think, would be presented in a more entertaining way for me. Uh, now, the question is, so, so yes, do I think it would be a positive thing if Nakamura went back to New Japan? In terms of me as a fan watching New Japan, yes, that would be a positive thing. You know, in terms of me sitting down and being entertained by the New Japan product, there would be no downside to Nakamura coming back. Now, what do I think of Nakamura going back to New Japan and what it would mean for Nakamura? I don't think now is the time. I think that Nakamura has the U.S. championship. That's something. Nakamura as a heel is certainly more interesting, compelling. There's certainly more to this character than there ever was as a good guy. And, you know, who knows why that is. But Nakamura as a heel is interesting. Uh, I think Nakamura still, and this is me, maybe it's just because I'm a completionist. You know, I don't like, not that, I, I like to know that I have run a well dry if I'm going to give up on it. I personally, and I don't know, maybe Nakamura and me are not the same person. I have it on good authority that Shinsuke Nakamura and the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, yours truly, are actually not the same person. However, for me, all I can do is talk from the perspective of me. Before I went back to New Japan, I would want to make sure that I left the biggest impact that I could on WWE. If Nakamura left today, his WWE run would not, it would be unfair to call it a disappointment, but I think if Nakamura left WWE today, it would still feel like there was unrealized potential. If Nakamura left WWE today, it would feel like he never quite got to where we thought he might get to in this promotion you know, as a WWE superstar. And who knows? Maybe he won't get to that level. Maybe all of our expectations are too high and it's just not in the cards for Shinsuke Nakamura in WWE. But I'm not ready to say that personally. 
I personally am not ready to say, nope, Nakamura has gone as far as he can go. And the reason for that is, I feel like a, a new world was opened up to him at WrestleMania when he turned heel. And WrestleMania was what? April, May, June, July, August. That's four months ago. You know, I, I think you would say in the last four months, Nakamura has been more interesting than the four months previously. I just, I, I, I'm not ready to throw in the Nakamura towel yet. I'm not ready to say that we've seen all we're going to see out of Nakamura. And I don't think that Nakamura should go back to New Japan until he feels like we've seen all that we're going to see. And it's difficult. This guy has a family. To uproot your family from Japan, move them all to the States, and and become this guy who works for WWE, lives in the States, does the whole thing, only to move them all back to Japan a couple years later, that's a little bit difficult. So I don't necessarily see it happening. I think that Nakamura will continue to try to uh, make an impact in WWE. I don't know how the finances work. You know, I would assume that the money's better in WWE, but one could also assume that New Japan would certainly make it worth Nakamura's while. Um, so we'll see, but I think that that was kind of New Japan's attempt to maybe at least pique some interest, but really gain a little bit of publicity for themselves. And I think that even they know that the idea of Nakamura going back to New Japan in this moment are probably not that realistic. You know, I don't, I don't personally think that it's probably... Uh, going to happen. Probably not. Um, you know, you talk about guys realizing potential, right? And you think about the careers that guys have and when they're really going to hit their peak. We want to believe that our favorites are ready to hit their peak when we're ready for it. And sometimes that's just not true. And that was what we learned with the guy who is the highlight of my number three story of the week. The number three story of the week is that this guy is the new NXT champion. Tommaso Ciampa wins the NXT World Championship in a title victory. It's I don't remember the NXT Championship changing hands on an NXT TV show. And I'm probably wrong. You can tweet me and tell me what happened then. But I certainly don't remember the last time the NXT Championship changed hands on the TV show. It's taped, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. It takes a little bit of the luster out of it. And, of course, you know, they put so much into these takeovers that uh, that's usually where stuff like that happens. But Tommaso Ciampa is as outside the box as any superstar in that promotion has been. It really feels to me like Tommaso Ciampa has to be Triple H's pet project. You know, I think that, I think that when I watch NXT... I go like, okay, I think I think Alistair Black is Triple H's pet project. I think Tommaso Ciampa is Triple H's pet project. When I look at Velveteen Dream, I think that the entire WWE is aware that he's going to be a star. I think everybody that looks at Lars Sullivan is like, oh, we're going to be able to do something with him. You know, I, I think if you show Vince McMahon Lars Sullivan, he immediately goes, yeah, we're going to be able to do something with him. But I think I and I think that I think that Velveteen Dream is in that category too. You know? I think that some of the indie guys, the Undisputed Era, for example, I think that those are guys that Triple H likes and 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 wants to see, okay, what do these guys have? But just based on booking, based on what I see when I watch the TV, these are all assumptions based on my opinion when I watch the show. Uh I really feel like 
Tommaso Ciampa and Alistair Black are Triple H's two pet projects. And I think that what this title win does for Ciampa is it takes him out of the story of Johnny Gargano. So Ciampa did everything in his power, and he's so great. Ciampa keeps that character alive by staying in character on Twitter, by not selling T-shirts. There is no evidence. I would imagine he doesn't do interviews. I would love to have Tommaso Ciampa on this podcast, but I would imagine he would stay in character the whole time. And that's part of what makes this so compelling, is that, you know, with the Gargano story, you didn't even feel like Johnny Gargano was doing a character. Johnny Gargano is Mr. Wrestling. He is this guy that he's portraying, right? You started to feel like as as over-the-top evil as Ciampa is and was, you feel as you're watching like that's really him. That's who that guy is. Um, and I, I think that, that that is what that extra layer, he's one of the great storytellers in there right now. And I think, you know, Triple H... Every time he does an interview, well, not every time, but every time he gets asked about it, Triple H, historically, in interviews, has talked a lot about the art of storytelling in the ring. You know, he's talked about, you know, how important it is and everything. And uh, I think that uh, that is something that he clearly passes along. Shawn Michaels the same way. I'm sure Shawn Michaels passes those along, too. Um, I love Tommaso Ciampa as NXT champion. You know, it's been a while since there was a good heel champion. I guess Bobby Roode was, but Bobby Roode was so popular because of the entrance music and because of the whole deal that he was doing that uh, it wasn't really just that dirty, dastardly bad guy. Ciampa was going out of his way to tell a story with Aleister Black. As soon as he beat Gargano, Ciampa started uh, tweeting and talking about how much he wanted to take out the NXT champion Aleister Black. And still... In all of our minds, because the last two TakeOver main events were so good, specifically the last TakeOver, the story that was told between Gargano and Ciampa was one of the great stories that was ever been told in a wrestling match. I really think that the Gargano-Ciampa story, what I believe will eventually become at least three parts, if not more. Right now it is kind of three parts in the sense that there's the betrayal, then the two matches. I think clearly we will have a third match in this series at some point. But after those two matches happened in secession, um, or succession, I should say, it wasn't, it wasn't like they weren't seceding. You know, they weren't leaving the union. They were, uh, uh, well, they weren't succeeding in order. One after the other is when they happened. Um, after those two matches happened one after the other, I, and they were both good. Like, after the second match was just as good as the first match between Gargano and Ciampa, people were sitting there going, okay, I associate these two guys together. And the story had been told in such a way where it was almost like there was TakeOver, there was NXT, and then there was Gargano and Ciampa. Both times. And in the in, and in the in between. There was everything happening in NXT, and then there was this story over here. And I think that winning the championship from Aleister Black really cements that this is not about Johnny Gargano and Ciampa anymore. We are jumping headfirst into the next story. This is now, uh, Ciampa is the NXT champion, which means that we now have to start thinking about, oh, who's going to get shots at him? Is he going to fight Lars Sullivan? Is he going to fight the Velveteen Dream? Is the Undisputed Era, even though they, they have their titles, are they looking at him? You know, 
When does Aleister Black get his rematch? All of these matches become feasible for Ciampa because he's got the championship. The Gargano storyline gets put on hold, and that's obvious now. So clearly, Aleister Black is going to get a rematch at some point, but I just think it's so good. And I stand by my statement. You know, I think, should Shawn Michaels ever come back for one more match, there is no choice for him but Ciampa at a takeover. You know, that would be the purpose of Shawn coming back, would be to put over somebody, to put him over. And and it would be maybe Ciampa's last match in NXT, but he would have to destroy the legend of Shawn Michaels and just be the ultimate villain, the ultimate bad guy, because that's who Ciampa can be. I'm so thrilled uh, uh, to see him win that championship. So very, very thrilled. Um, let's get into story number two. Speaking of matches... Ronda Rousey is going to be wrestling on Raw next week. Uh, first time that Ronda is wrestling on Raw, she'll be wrestling Alicia Fox. And, you know, I think, because for me, I don't need to see Ronda wrestle on Raw. Ronda is, I don't mind attractions that don't wrestle every week. The Brock Lesnar thing is insane, because he's not even, he hasn't been on TV since April, and he finally shows up this week. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm not advocating for that, but what I am advocating for is the idea that they don't have to wrestle every single week. I like that Ronda Rousey is there. I want her to, to be a part of the show every week. You know, I don't want every month for her to go off and make a movie or something. I want her to be on the show every week, but I'm okay if she doesn't wrestle every week, especially at this point in her career. I think that the reason... I'd be okay if she didn't wrestle until SummerSlam and wrestled Alexa Bliss, just to just to maintain how special it is when Ronda Rousey wrestled. I think the reason that Ronda Rousey is wrestling on Raw is because uh, there is so much heat from the fans on Brock Lesnar right now. Brock Lesnar is so disliked, and what he's done with the Universal Championship is so disliked that they want to keep Ronda Rousey popular. They want fans to know that Ronda Rousey is not the female version of Brock Lesnar because... Nobody's going to like her. Fans aren't going to like her. They're going to like the matches. But if you find out that she's only wrestling once every two or three months, that's not exciting. You know, you wanted, the idea was the, what we were sold. And that's that Ronda Rousey was going to be a full-time part of the women's division, not, not a part-timer. Um, and, you know, if she goes off and makes a movie, that's fine. WWE guys go off and make movies. Miz went off and made a movie. You know, Cena goes off and makes movies. It's not a big deal if she leaves here and there to go make a movie. It is a big deal if it becomes a thing that she's doing all the time. And it is a big deal if it becomes a thing where she's only wrestling every three pay-per-views. So I think, even though for me, I don't need to see her at this point wrestling on Raw, it's certainly exciting. I'm interested to see what she does with Alicia Fox. And this will be a good indication, right? Because we've really only seen her. We saw her at WrestleMania, obviously. She did extremely well. We saw her wrestle Nia Jack. She did extremely well. But, you know, what? Alicia Fox is great, but, you know, she's not... Ronda Rousey is not necessarily protected in the ring when she's with Alicia Fox. Like, Alicia Fox... It's not going to look bad, but Alicia Fox is, you know, not going to... It's not guaranteed that Alicia Fox makes Ronda Rousey look better, if that makes sense. Uh, so... One would almost expect Ronda Rousey to kind of carry this one, right? The idea with with Alicia Fox's character and her win-loss record, you wouldn't think that she would get a ton of offense in on Ronda Rousey. So I don't think that it should be like a 10-second match 
because people would kind of feel ripped off if we're all getting psyched up. Ronda Rousey is actually going to wrestle in the last 10 seconds. Um, but it'll be interesting to see because I kind of feel like Ronda Rousey is going to have to carry this match, not due to Alicia Fox's shortcomings at all. Alicia, Alicia Fox could, you know, do just fine, but because of the characters involved, because of who she is, it just, it just, it feels to me like that's the way this story needs to be told. Um, and I think it'll be really, really interesting. Hopefully we'll get excited. Every time Ronda Rousey has wrestled, every time she's gotten in the ring and done anything physical, we get excited. She's really, really good at that. Hopefully, this match happens and it reminds us how good Ronda Rousey is in the ring because that may be part of this motivation. It may be we got to remind these people how good Ronda is because she hasn't wrestled since Money in the Bank. Um, so that could be it too. That the idea is that when we see her wrestling Alicia Fox, we're going to get excited because Ronda Rousey is really good and we're going to get excited for the Women's Championship match with Alexa Bliss. Uh, that could be part of it. I don't know. Uh, but I definitely think that it is very, very interesting. And uh, I'm anxious to see it. Uh, you know, speaking of Raw, I-, I thought Raw had its ups and downs this week. I'll talk about the number one story in a moment. Um, I was a little confused by the Bobby Lashley Elias segment. And, you know, not because Bobby Lashley forgot the words to Rock and Robin. I, don't, I-, I didn't quite get. I don't understand the Bobby Lashley character, to tell you the truth. You know, he loses to Roman Reigns after beating him, and it's kind of like, okay, I'm not getting the title shot. Instead of being like, that's insane, total BS, I beat him already, I should get the title shot. Let me have one more match with Roman Reigns to prove that I can beat him. You know, it should at least be having a rubber match now. So not complaining about that. And why would you sing with Elias? Like, Elias is is a bad guy. He's not a nice dude. Fans boo him, or they're supposed to. Why would Bobby Lashley want to perform with him? I'm not 100% sure why. I also don't quite understand. It feels like they're building to something between Elias and The Rock. I don't know if that's going to happen at WrestleMania. I don't know if he's just putting that out there now to get fans talking and to get The Rock interested. Who knows? But he mentioned him on Raw. He mentioned him in the documentary. He mentions him a bunch. Um, But he mentioned him on Raw. And to me, it doesn't feel like it's putting Bobby Lashley in a space where he can easily succeed if Elias calls out The Rock and Bobby Lashley comes out. You're in Miami. I get that he's just mentioning The Rock because he's in Miami, but The Rock comes out sometimes. The Rock has surprised audiences before, so it doesn't really put Bobby Lashley in a spot to succeed if Elias is going to call out The Rock and then here comes Bobby Lashley to defend the good people of Miami because... You've implanted this idea. You've incepted the good people of Miami with this idea that The Rock is coming out. So that was a little confusing to me. But we'll get to the number one story of the week. I sent out a tweet on Tuesday. So uh, I, I didn't see the end of Raw. I saw most of Raw, but I didn't see the end of Raw until Tuesday afternoon. Sometimes, you know, I do a morning radio show. I end up having to go to bed. And then the next day, I got it on my DVR. I'll go and I'll watch I'll watch Raw and see what I miss. A lot of times, you know, there are spoilers and everything, but, you know, I'm okay with that. that that's part of the game. So I'm looking for my tweet right now so I can give you uh, an exact uh, verbatim wording of what I said. Okay, there's the da-da-da. Um, there it is. Just caught up. Best ending to hashtag Raw in a long time. 
thumb up, thumb up, thumb up, thumb up emoji. Now, the tweet has 160 likes on it. So there were a bunch of you. I'm assuming if you like a tweet like that, that means you agree with it. But there were dozens and dozens and dozens of replies. And the vast majority, I'm scrolling through, vast majority are very negative. Of course, some for every any time, any time I post anything that I like anything on Raw, people are assuming that Vince McMahon has called me up and said, Sam, I am going to give you extra money. I want to, I'm going to pay you to please say that you like something that happened on Raw this week. I go, okay, Vince, you got it. Now, if he did that, he wouldn't even have to pay me. If he, if Vince McMahon called me and said, hey, Sam, would you compliment something that happened on Raw? I'll go, I'll compliment everything that happened on Raw. Vince, you're on my phone right now. And guess what? I think most of us would do the same thing. There's a t-shirt that says Shill Robert Shill. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm a WWE fan. I'm going to look for the positive in things. But the idea that like every time I like anything on WWE TV, I'm like, you know, just kind of uh, uh, selling the company line. It's a little nuts. However, however, uh, this one specifically, I was kind of surprised by the amount of people. I got a lot of uh, roly eye memes. I got a lot of memes telling me to GTFO. Uh, I got a lot of people being like, Sam, you're, you're crazy. A lot of memes that just went, uh, no. A lot of people saying that's enough, you know. And I was, I, was, I was surprised because I thought the ending to Raw this week was quite good. And I don't know, maybe I should find somebody to do the podcast with that didn't like the ending of Raw this week. And when I said the best ending of Raw in a long time, like somebody tweeted me, and I think I quoted their tweet, that uh, they, they brought it back to like, uh, like Stone Cold and, and the invasion angle, right? And I'm like, I'm not talking about... I, I would hope that you guys realize when I tweet something like that, I didn't think that the ending of this week's episode of Raw was the best ending in decades, you know? You're really searching if that's what you thought. But I do think it was the best ending to Raw in several weeks, if not months. The reason why I thought that is because I thought the buildup was strong, in the sense that yeah, Brock Lesnar reading magazines all night and not watching the show was hilarious, okay? Um, I feel like they're tapping into something that fans are really saying. They're tapping into this idea that Brock Lesnar doesn't care. They're tapping into this idea that he doesn't defend the title. They're tapping into the fact that fans are pissed at Brock Lesnar. So they're getting him heat based on this. I think that, that part of what's going on is that there are fans or viewers that don't like that Brock is getting heat because they think that Brock is getting heat in order to get Roman Reigns cheered. And while that might be true, I'm not looking at it on that level. I'm just looking at it in terms of the story that they're telling with Brock Lesnar right now. It's up to Roman Reigns to get cheered. And right now, it's not 100% happening, but we will talk about what happened at the end of the show in a moment. But... The buildup was good. Um, Kurt Angle finally showing some chutzpah was good. Having Paul Heyman be in the ring and Kurt Angle's yelling at him about what a horrible universal champion Brock Lesnar has been. Like, that's a that's a, a direct acknowledgement that, yes, this is something fans are saying. We are acknowledging this. You know, this idea that, 
you know, we don't like Brock Lesnar. He never defends the title. Okay, let's talk about that on TV. Like, that's what I want out of wrestling. I love the idea that something that gets talked about, you know, on Squared Circle on Reddit or, or something that gets talked about on Twitter or whatever is talked about on TV. Now, they're not going to talk about everything. You know, of course, they're, they're taking a very safe topic there. But still, they're taking a topic that people are really talking about. They're trying to make Brock Lesnar into a villain by using things that people really don't like about Brock Lesnar. He F5s Kurt Angle, which I thought was awesome. You know, and people are already like, oh, you know, there's a double standard. Ronda Rousey got suspended for 30 days. Brock Lesnar's going to be at SummerSlam in three weeks. You know, I, before you start poking holes in WWE storytelling, let's wait and see what happens next week. Let, let's wait and see if that's addressed or not. You know, I don't, I don't like the idea that just because many times WWE has not cashed in on on storylines just because many times WWE has has not lived up to that doesn't mean that we can sit here and go like well that's not going to go anywhere well that doesn't make any sense well that's hypocritical because we don't know what the next piece of the story is they could easily do something next week on Raw to address this and they should I don't know if they will or not I would imagine Brock Lesnar won't be there because that'll build heat for him but really, I mean, Brock Lesnar attacking Paul Heyman is huge, no? Like, did people not? I was like, whoa, that's big. That's awesome. Now you're really, I feel like this has to be a separation between Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. And I think that that's being done because people love Paul Heyman. People are going to cheer Paul Heyman. He's so good at cutting promos. He tells the truth. And the last thing we want is for anybody to tell the truth about Roman Reigns because the fans are going to agree with it. You know, the vocal fans are going to agree with what Paul Heyman says about Roman Reigns. So, the idea that Brock Lesnar is going to go at this alone, I don't think he should have another manager. I think he should ditch Heyman now. And I think he should go at this alone and be big, beastly, mean Brock Lesnar. At least for this story. I was not even... I was impressed by the ending of Raw. Because not a, a lot of times on Raw, it's like, okay, I kind of saw that coming. Okay, I knew where that was going. Sometimes you end with great matches like Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler and stuff like that. But it's not that often anymore that you end with a story that really hooks you or that surprises you. And I don't think anybody thought that Brock Lesnar was going to jump Paul Heyman. You know, I think Brock Lesnar turning on Paul Heyman is big news. And by the way, you know, 18 hours after Raw went off the air, it had four and a half million hits on YouTube. I saw it and I was like, okay. Because at first I started getting replies on this tweet and I'm like, am I crazy have I taken drugs and I'm in some alternate dimension where I think this ending of Raw was great and in reality it was a piece of garbage? I'm going like, well, what am I smoking? But then the likes started coming in on the tweets. I realized that maybe some people are a little more vocal um, and you know it got all these hits and, and people enjoyed it. But I do think there are a lot of you that didn't enjoy it. And I find that very interesting. You know, I, I, I would love to know why, because the stuff I heard, it was like some people were saying, well, it really didn't do anything to further the Brock Lesnar story. That's not true at all. The whole show painted Brock Lesnar in a brand new light. Brock Lesnar now matches the picture that we fans have been painting of him as a guy who doesn't care about wrestling in real life and doesn't defend the title and is, is, is a dud. You know, that's what a lot of fans have been saying, and that's what this character is now portraying. And him going at it without Paul Heyman, to me, is huge. I think there might be a lot of people 
that just don't want to see this Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns match. And I don't I I don't I don't fault that. I'm not mad at that. And it's almost like anything that has anything to do with these guys, you're not going to be happy about. And maybe that's true. I could be wrong. I'm not trying to assume everything. Um But yeah, yeah. So I was I was a little bit surprised. Now, I was also shocked, shocked that at the end of Raw, I heard watching Raw, we want Roman. Now, the voice of the fans chanting absolutely sounded like women and children for sure. That's And that's another reason why I thought it sounded like we want Roman. But still, like it really, the we want Roman chants were not being outdone by Roman sucks. It was like, we want Roman. That's what I thought I heard. Then there were reports coming from the arena that they were chanting, we want Strowman, not we want Roman. And I went, oh. And then I started going into, are they saying boo or boo earns? And then Hans Moment stood up and said, I was saying Roman. (laughs) So I don't know what they were saying. I still kind of feel like they were saying Roman because it was women and kids. It sounded like that anyway. But it could have been Strowman. You know, I'm not, I'm not, that's not a, a, a hill I'm willing to die on. Um, if it was Strowman, it's still interesting. Like, that was an interesting chant to end the show. If it was Roman, that's a successful end. If it was Strowman, that goes back to what I've been saying from the beginning that Braun Strowman needs to be the one to dethrone Brock Lesnar. Now, I don't think it's a given. It's even less of a At WrestleMania, it was a given that Roman Reigns was going to win, and then he lost. I think it's less of a given this time that Roman Reigns is going to win because I think that there is this idea that's in people's heads. That Brock Lesnar may go to his fight with Daniel Cormier that will presumably take place sometime at the beginning of 2019, January, February-ish. That's what all signs are pointing to. It's nowhere near official. But there is this idea that Brock Lesnar may go to the UFC with the Universal Championship. And I'm not against the idea. You know, I'm not. I think that if Brock Lesnar loses at UFC whatever it is to Daniel Cormier, I still think it's good promotion for WWE. I still think it's good promotion for the Universal Championship. And, you know, I think he comes back to WWE and he loses there too. That's fine. I don't think that in 2018 it damages the championship because we know that UFC and WWE are two separate worlds. At this point, we know what WWE is. So, you know, I think it's a positive thing for Brock to go to UFC with that championship. I just don't know if it's a positive thing. I don't know if the stories that Brock Lesnar tells between now and his UFC fight with Daniel Cormier, it's going to be, it could be more damaging to the universal title, what Brock Lesnar does with it between now and his UFC fight than losing the UFC fight would be. You know, the idea that it wouldn't be defended. Like, honestly, the Universal Championship has been a bit of a prop since its inception. You know, you've got uh, Finn Balor only holding it for a day because he got injured. No fault of Finn Balor, but it is what it is. So it starts off on a weird note. And who knows, if Finn Balor hadn't gotten injured, the history of this championship would probably be a lot different. So you've got Finn Balor. Then it goes to Kevin Owens. 
who, you know, and I only call it a prop for Kevin Owens because he was kind of the, uh, the, the chicken bad guy with it. You know, he wasn't, he didn't have that heroic, like, like to have a bad guy holding the title is not a run that establishes the title. That run established Kevin Owens as a great main event bad guy. And he did amazing with it. But because the title was so new, it did not establish the universal title. It goes off of Kevin Owens and onto Goldberg, which, you know, Goldberg, what? He defended it in January and he defended it at WrestleMania, right? Of that year. And then it goes off of Goldberg and on to Brock Lesnar. We have not had, the only person that's defended that title on a regular basis is Kevin Owens. Unless I'm missing somebody, and you can hit me up on Instagram or whatever if I am. But Kevin Owens is the only person that's really defended that title on a regular basis. And we've never had a good guy face of the company with that championship. Um, So I think that the Universal Championship is suffering. It has not established since its inception a few years ago. Uh, I think that there, and I've said this before, WWE is making a huge mistake by not taking advantage of that and putting the spotlight back on the WWE championship because let's be honest, AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe is not going on last at SummerSlam. Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns is going on last at SummerSlam. So, you know, all you can do is hope that in September... (laughs) Maybe the WWE Championship goes on last, but, you know, it's it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened on a pay-per-view in a very long, since the brands came together. So, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but the point of this is I thought the ending to Raw was great this week. Some of you did not. Hit me up and kind of let me know if I'm missing something, you know? I always want to hear from you. Let me know. You can also let me know in person. People go like, hey, Sam, where are you going to be? I'm going to be at Caroline's on Broadway. Caroline's Comedy Club, August 16th. For the first time, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast gets a primetime slot at Caroline's on Broadway, one of the most famous comedy clubs in the world. Thursday night, August 16th at 9.30 p.m. So far announced, Bruce Pritchard and Dalton Castle both will be at the show and I've got even more guests to announce. Stay up on social media. Go to carolines.com or the pinned tweet at twitter.com slash notsam to get tickets. But get those tickets now for the live Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast 200th episode. It's the night that Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast becomes Not Sam Wrestling. I will see you there. I appreciate you being here. I love all of you. And I will see you firstly next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.